a good movie. I know students do. Middle schoolers, you have the opportunity to have your own class out in the commons area right now if you want to get up and leave for middle school. J.R.R. Tolkien's trilogy, Lord of the Rings. That episode, do you recognize it? Some of you fans from Two Towers, the second. And whether by his books or by the movies that depicted, when you listen, when you watch, when you read an epic story, it pulls your heart in. And it pulls your heart in because of the sense of wonder in what's going on. Today we begin a series called Epic. Epic, the kingdom, the gospel, and the community of the king. And in this story that we find from Scripture, you will find your heart endeared to it. The line that I like from Sam, it wasn't mentioned in that clip you just saw. But as he and Frodo, the the hobbits with their backpacks of cooking gear on, make their way through all the different kinds of journeys and episodes of what happens in the two towers and before. He says this, he wakes up to the reality and what they've fallen into, and he says, I wonder what sort of tell we've fallen into. You see, there's a story that's going on, and they didn't realize that it was happening in their life. There's a story that's going on for all of us, whether we realize it or not. And it would do good if we started to wonder about what that story is that we've fallen into. John Eldridge actually has written a book a few years back called Epic, and he really unpacks a lot of incredible things in there. He's a very artistic kind of writer, and he says this, When it comes to figuring out that this life you're living you do well to know the rest of the story. So I'll tell you how I came about speaking on this idea of epic. Because today I wanted to really challenge us to be a part of community one with another, to be engaged, to know people, to be able to serve people, to to allow God to do spiritual growth deep in our heart and relationship one with another because spiritual growth is impossible without being in relationship. But then when I look at our lives, I see that they're all sort of packed. You've been busy this last week? A lot of things going on, things that uh, are out of control in your life, some of the things you're trying to control. Life's full, and so the pastor's standing in front of you to say, hey, listen, I would really like to encourage you to be in a life group or be in a community of other people. You're like, "Uh, thanks, but no thanks. You see, if it's just a program that we put out there as churches, whether it's show up on Sunday morning, whatever style of worship there is, or get involved in this group or that group or this ministry, that ministry, it can all become noise and more um, scheduling and responsibility, and we become overwhelmed, and we sort of just take a step back. And some of you have actually done that from church before. You've been engaged, or maybe early in your life, you step back and you're not as involved anymore. Well, what I want to talk to you about today is not being involved in church. I want to talk to you about being involved in the epic story that's going on, the bigger picture 
bigger picture of all of it. Because I can guarantee you this, there is an adversary, and he's wanting to keep you out of the knowledge and the experience of the larger story that's going on and your participation in it. But if we understand the big picture of what's going on, what sort of tell we've all fallen into here as human beings, then we're more likely to reorder our lives in appropriate measures where we are engaged in those things of not just eternal value, but true value in the here and now world in which we live. Because some of the things you and I do, God's going to say to us, you need to set that aside. And then there's other things that you and I haven't been doing with our lives that he's going to say, I want you to put this front and center because this is pretty important. But you have no way of discerning the value of what needs to be in and out of life unless there is a context to the bigger story of what's going on. Let me go back to those words that you just heard on the screen. Tolkien says this, It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were, and sometimes you didn't want to know the end, because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, the shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come, and when the sun shines... It will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something even if you were too small to understand. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now, folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something, that there is some good in this world, and it's worth fighting for. So when Sam had prior said, well, I wonder what sort of uh, tale that we have fallen into, he starts to have the context for the whole Middle Earth and all that Tolkien writes about. And he comes up with understanding that there is purpose and value in that larger story and that we each have a story that's fitting into this larger story. And those stories are being written one day in one episode, one journey, one encounter, one conflict, one opportunity at a time. And so we don't have a meaningless life that's sort of just scattered here and there. In fact, there's a good chance that uh, the world in which you live is trying to tell you that there is no story going on. And that your particular story is like, well, it's just who cares about your little story? So that happened to you in your life or so this crisis happened or that opportunity happened. It's no big deal. Like when I think about last week when we celebrated the journey that we were on for 16 months and saying God took us from a smaller place, brought us to a larger place and and, and increased our camp, if you will, given us an opportunity to to do great ministry in this valley because it continues to grow. That's a part of a story for us as a church, but it's a part of your story and some of my greatest excitement when people ask, well, what are you so excited about? I'm just excited that you get to see God move, that he takes a group of people that step out and put their toes into the water and the water parts, that you get to see God move and that your faith is increased and that the story's not about a building. The story's about a movement, a movement of a people. And that movement of people serving the grander picture, the, the bigger picture of what God's doing in our world. That's exciting to me because I find meaning and purpose and value in story. In fact, think about it. 
life, life's just full of a lot of story. And if you want to explain the world, if you want to explain life, you have to be able to explain it through story. But the world around you is pressing you to think that there is no real story. Everybody has their own little thing, and that's what's important, but there's no grander or bigger picture to a story. Friends, our story is being written inside the larger story. I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. What is the big picture, the epic that is going on? Because once we discover it, then we order our schedules, we order our lives according to the bigger story because we want the story God's writing in our heart to tie into that story. And clues to the larger story are written on our hearts, expressed through our passions and our interests and our longings. Why is it that an epic story like Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, or you can you know, picture other kinds of Star Wars, other kinds of things that have these ongoing uh, episodes, what, what pulls us into those things? Well, we like to see. We like to see the venture, the journey. We like to see courage. We love to see romance. Where do those things come from? They come from our heart. The longings of our heart. And could there be a clue to the grander story, the larger story in life, if we looked at where our hearts are related to the things we have interest and longings in? We like our heart to be pulled out in the stories and the epics. And that's because we are created and made in the image of God and His larger story comes into play in such a grand way as it relates to our individual story. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, He has planted eternity in the human heart. He has planted eternity in the human heart. There's something in us that longs for more. Longs for more than this life or some of the, the, the small little episodes that we're a part of that sometimes turn out to end up being meaningless. There's something that calls us forward. And you need to tap into the eternity that God's put in your heart. This last week, I sort of made an emergency flight back to the Midwest, Indiana, where I'm from. It's where my family is. Because my mom, some of you know, that my 89-year-old mother, who has been the mainstay in my life spiritually in so many ways, praying and those kinds of things, encouraging and, and uh, challenging to follow hard after Christ, uh, she fell a number of weeks ago, broke her L4. She got put in a rehab nursing home. And um, this last weekend, um, she also had uh, a minor heart attack. She had fluid on her lungs and other things were told to me. And I said, I'm done. I'm, I'm flying back to see my mom. And so I did a quick turnaround trip to fly back and to see my mom. And, and she's improved. She's out of the hospital. She's back in the nursing home um, doing the rehab thing. But she's very, very weak. And to be honest, I don't know if she'll recover her strength enough to be able to return to the farmhouse. One of the first times in my life, I, I still can go back to the same house I grew up in. And to walk into that house, my father passed away a few years ago, and to not see the life of my mom there was hard for me. But you know, in sitting and talking with my mom and interacting with her, she, as she says, she's ready, but she's not willing. She's ready to go see Jesus, and that would be fine. 
but she's not willing because she feels that, that she still has purpose. She has 18 grandkids and several other great-grandkids from five of us uh, siblings. And there's something that's in my heart when I sit in front of the reality that age is going to take my mom. Whether sooner or later, it's going to take all of us. And you go, no, no, there's got to be something more. That would be crushing blow. And some of you have lost loved ones here, maybe in this last, last year. What is that? Why does that matter to us? It's because God has put eternity in our hearts. There has to be something more. There has to be that longing for more. And if you pass from this life to the next life, what is your destiny in that next life to come? Is a destiny, as Scripture alludes to, for those who are followers of Jesus, of, of one of, of heaven, bliss, uh, whatever it may be, a new heaven, new earth. For those who are not followers of Christ, Scripture is pretty clear that if you didn't want to follow Jesus and be with Him in this life, then why would you want to be with Him in the life to come? So it talks about separation, outer darkness. What is that future on the other side of this life? All of us are going to experience it. All of us in this room are eternal beings. And eternity starts now, in the here and now moment. We pass from this life through a shadow into the next life. And what is in that life? But would not it be important to determine what we do with this life in light of that which will be in the next life and for all of eternity? And for my mom, you know, I saw somebody live out her life before me in light of that larger story. And she passed that on, both her and my dad, through encouragement, exhortation, teaching, serving in church, and, and the purposes of God, supporting missionary work around the world. I saw a living example of someone who lived in the larger story, and now at this season of her life in that room in Wabash, Indiana, my mom has a connectedness to something grander. It's just not she's facing the end. I can't get back up out of this in a wheelchair into a walker to walk around. Those things are all important, but not near as important as the decision she made early on to be a Christ follower, to be a part of the larger story. And all the longings of our heart begin to point to the larger story. There's got to be more. Have you recently come through brokenness, despair, maybe a divorce, maybe a child went astray, and there's hurt there. And there's a longing for the wrongs to be made right. Maybe you follow news, world news, and you go, something's not right here. What's going to happen to this world? There is a bigger story. And your questioning is not the foolish questioning of a mere mortal. Your questioning is the longing of a heart that was made for eternity. And so you and I need to live life in the grander epic of the kingdom, the gospel, and the community of the king. Because it's eternal. And so we come back into our everyday life. Our schedule this fall, and we participate in that which has eternal significance, not that which is just self-centered, myopic, and for frivolous reasons. How are you doing living in the grander epic? It has all the adventure, opportunity for courage, sense of wonderment, and love that you can aspire to. But if you just try to squeeze it out of the here and now, you will find it 
but a miserable exercise for how many years God ever gives you. You see, we live in a world today where we've lost the story. We've lost the story. Existentialism. It's a term which means the here and now moment. You only go around once in life, so gain all the gusto you can kind of idea. And so you try to squeeze everything out of this life, out of your week. Things you buy, things you go and do, opportunities here and there. And and it's nothing necessarily wrong in and of itself. But if you're trying to get out of the here and now moment everything for a heart that was made for eternity, you will fall miserably short. And we live in a world that's pressing us pressing us into here and now moments rather than living in light of eternity. We've lost our story. In a book written, Science and the Story That We Need, Neil Postman says this. It relates to the scientific view because we have to ask ourselves, how did we lose our story today? In the end, science does not provide answers most of us require. Its story of our origins and our end is, to say the least, unsatisfactory. To the question, how did it all begin, science answers, probably by accident. To the question, how will it end, science answers, probably by an accident. And to many people, the accidental life is not worth living. We've lost our story in our postmodern scientific world, there is a greater reality and we're to live out our life, our story within that larger story. For it's in the larger story that we will find meaning and purpose and there's indicators through our passions and our interests and longings of the heart that point to the grander story. John Eldridge says this, he says, think about your favorite movies. Notice that every good story has the same ingredients. Love, adventure, danger, heroism, romance, sacrifice, the battle of good and evil, unlikely heroes, insurmountable odds, and a little fellowship that in hope, beyond hope, pulls through in the end. Am I right? Think again about your favorite movies, Sense and Sensibility, Don Juan DeMarco, Titanic, The Sound of Music, Sleepless in Seattle, Gone with the Wind, Braveheart, Gladiator, Rocky, Top Gun, Apollo 13, The Matrix, The Lord of the Rings. The films you love are telling you something very important, something essential about your heart. I love a good story. Some of you know my oldest, our oldest son, Ryan. He works uh, in Universal Television and Productions, and I just have admired watching his heart grow in the ability to tell story and to tell it well. And he has a heart for that whole world as a mission field, if you will, to serve God. And the stories that our world tells, that we watch on the screen, that we read from the books, are indicators of the longings of the heart that God has put there. But friends, we are not in a movie. We are in a reality. And that reality, the larger story, is the kingdom of God. You ever shown up at a movie 45 minutes late? It's pretty hard to try to figure it out. You get a little clip of this, a little clip of that. Well, what I find with Christians a lot of times, that's how we live our Christian life. It's like we've shown up in the middle of a movie. And we don't have a clue what's going on. 
And so we try to make sense and purpose out of our life. In fact, maybe your life's a book. Here's the reality. If, if, your life, if life is a book and you've got a few pages of the years you have, it's like you ripped the pages out of the book and you're holding a few pages, but you don't understand the larger context of the novel. And what I found in Christian circles is we've really messed up here in the last, what I believe, few decades, at least since I've been alive, in that we have made Christian faith so simplistic that we don't understand the larger story, which is the kingdom of God and what's going on. And so we're scratching our head trying to figure things out. And I'm saying, hey, let's, let's do a rewind. Let's go back and put the pages back in the book and read some of the earlier chapters. Because Christianity is not about coming to church and being a good churchgoer. Christianity is about not having good manners. Christianity is not about being legalistic and dogmatic on a bunch of rules. Though that's what a lot of us think Christianity is. Maybe you feel that way today. Friends, there are incredible things that happened in a church service. And God would lead you to have good manners and to live morally. And yeah, the whole dogmatism is people's sense of trying to be right and what truth is, I guess. But friends, it's, it's not that small. Christianity is an epic, epic Christianity in which we live. You know, I was uh, talking just briefly to Mike Bartell here right before service. Mike, as some of you know, worked with Hal Lindsey, who wrote the book Late Great Planet Earth, and he talked about the end times. In my younger years, my heart was enthralled about learning the story of where this is going to go, what's going to happen, what's going to happen with the nations and other kinds of things. And he was visiting Hal because Hal's in his later years of life and he's looking at the bigger context of the larger story as he moves forward to, to eternity, those kinds of things. But the exciting thing is that we get to encourage one another that it's not this myopic little legalistic faith called Christianity that we need to fit into a box so those other people think we're living right and doing the right things. No, you are in being invited into an epic, into a storyline. I'll admit, I've not been a big uh, Lord of the Rings fan. In fact, I'm one of those people who watched later episodes without knowing the first episodes. That's not good. Right? But as I begin to watch them and begin to understand, and actually a few weeks ago my wife was just dumbfounded I do this because I just don't do it a lot. I watched the, the original Matrix movie. And it, if you don't watch the first Matrix movie, you're in trouble trying to figure out the others if, if you've watched that movie. You're being invited into this larger story called the kingdom of God. And it's more wild and fascinating than anything you'll find in a book or in a, on a movie screen. For it's the ultimate reality. And the kingdom of God is what Jesus called his followers to. You know, in the scriptures, there's four gospels. Gospels referring to the good news of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the four gospels are? Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the first three are called synoptic gospels, which means a lot of the material in those three eyewitness accounts, three different people writing them, very similar. And they believe that uh, what was written in the Synoptics Gospels came from another document called a Q document or something. And they sort of borrowed from it to make sure what they were saying was right. 
So each of the authors, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they wrote for some different audiences, involved some different kinds of things, but they're sort of similar. And then the Gospel of John is, is really sort of completely different. There's a lot of fresh material in there. There's some repeats of the first three. But in all the Gospels, do you know which one they believe was the first Gospel that was written? Mark. Mark's the smaller of the Gospels. And in Mark... Do you know what the first words in the first gospel ever written were of Jesus Christ? Get your act together, because I'm upset with you. No, that was not it. Get to church. You should be in church. No, church didn't even exist then. The first words that Jesus spoke that are recorded in the gospel of Mark are these words in Mark 1.15. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And if we wanted to unpack that a little bit, it would say this. The time has come, Jesus said, to the kingdom, which referred to the reign of God, has come near. Repent, which means change your mindset, your way of thinking. You're heading this way. Now move this way with your understanding. And believe in the good news. And the good news reference is the gospel. So here's Jesus. This is Jesus, God himself, right? Come in the flesh. He's showing up to teach everybody and says, Ho, heads up! I want to tell you something. You are a part of a huge story that's been going on. And I'm here to tell you that the kingdom of God has come near. Why did the kingdom of God come near? Because the kingdom of God referred to the reign of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ shows up in their midst like a great movie, right? Like, hey, the kingdom of God is, what? Who are you? kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Change your mindset and believe the good news and come follow me. And not just following Jesus Christ, but come walk into the grander story of it all. Now, Tolkien was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, in fact, uh, was an atheist and he was from uh, more of the Anglican side of thing, and, and Tolkien was Catholic side of thing, and, and Tolkien actually sort of helped bring C.S. Lewis back into the faith. And Lewis actually helped Tolkien realize that the things that he was writing on his own, like the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, were actually valuable, and people wanted to read them. And so he helped him in a literary way. And so they were both contemporaries in Oxford for a period of time, teaching. Now, C.S. Lewis has written an epic called what? Narnia, the Chronicles of Narnia. And I was fascinated by the Chronicles of Narnia. The first book in the series is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And what happens in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? The kids are scurrying around and, and they're uh, uh, staying at the, uh, their uh, relative's house because the war is going on and they're playing hide and seek in this big old ancient house. And then they find this big wardrobe that's in the back of a room that's upstairs and they open it. One of them does and they start pressing their way to hide inside of it. And all of a sudden they start pressing and there's no back to the wardrobe. There's branches that start hitting their face from the uh, fur coats are now behind them. And you're like, what? what's wrong? 
And there's the lampstand. And they discover, voila, there's a whole world, and it's called Narnia. So if you want to know that epic, read it on your own or encourage your kids to read it or you read it with them. But I find it fascinating because Tolkien and Lewis as contemporaries, they wrote these epics, if you will, and they had a heart for this grander thing. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, it's sort of like Tolkien and Lewis and saying, let me take you into a world you've never experienced. And you and I, even as fleshy people that will lay down these bodies one day and God, by his grace, through his power, will give us resurrected immortal bodies, we have the opportunity to dial in to that larger kingdom of God epic story that's going on in life right now in this day and age. And so we need to recapture the story because the story's been lost in our world. And you have some friends and some family members that they're struggling with addictions, double-mindedness, there's backbiting happening, and friends, the answer isn't just to get them to write, to live right and change their conduct. You need to encourage them to step through the back of the wardrobe into the land of Narnia called the kingdom of God and understand the bigger picture. Because once we understand the larger story, then the personal stories we're writing in our life will begin to be written in different ways. We'll be able to steer clear from those adventures that are dangerous to our soul and to our families. And we'll begin to, to write into our story and to lead into our story those things of, of epic portions that give us meaning and purpose that will outlive this very day and age in which we live. You know the story, and I don't have time to park there. Maybe we can in some of the coming weeks. I decided when I just uh, moved this series more to the forefront with its bigger understanding, it's like, well, I'll just decide how long we need to park here because of how important this is. But friends, this world's been going on for a long time, a long time. And I don't know at what minute in the movie you've showed up at or how many minutes you'll stay. But the context for the larger story is written in God's word. You know, we're familiar with Genesis 1.1, which says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? So we think that's where the story began. Do you realize that that's not really where the story begins? Even though that's in Genesis, which means beginnings. Genesis 1.1 is important, but as one Hebrew scholar, Robert Alter, says, a better rendering would be when God began to create heaven and earth. So what's the difference between in the beginning God created the heavens and earth and the statement when God began to create heaven and earth? Because the real ultimate beginning of all the large story of the epic is not found in Genesis 1-1, it's found in John 1-1. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing has come into being that has come to being without Him. Jesus, God, Christ, the one who showed up and said, Hey, the kingdom of God is near. He's the one who created the world, it says in John 1. And He created 
a cosmos that's far beyond even the stars and all that we see because there, there's stories like when, when did Satan, he was Lucifer, right? He was an archangel and, and he thought he could, you know, he thought he could take on God and then he got cast down of the heavens to the earth with a third of the angels, scripture seems. When did that take place? Did that take place after in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth like this terrestrial ball that we're on right now called earth? Was it, was it after that or whatever? Well, if you look into scriptures, if you look into Genesis 1, they actually refer sometimes to what's called the gap theory between Genesis 1 and Genesis between Genesis 1 1 and between Genesis 1 2. Do you know what I'm saying by that? If you're to look at it in your scriptures, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? And then verse 2 says, Now the heaven, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Whoa! Tell me this story. Tell me this epic. What, what was going on there? God's always been. We can, as finite beings, comprehend infinite realities like God. God, by definition, is an uncaused being, they say, because if God was caused by some other being, then that being would be God, now wouldn't it? So by definition, God is an uncaused being. The uncaused cause of the universe. He always existed, but there was a story that existed before, the story that existed before when God began to create heaven and earth. Huh. Now, some of you go like, does that really matter? Is that important to me? I mean, I really got lunch plans this afternoon, and there's homework my kids got to do. Yes! Because if you don't know the larger epic story, you're going to get caught up in the minutia of life and become very frustrated with some meaningless routines. I don't understand all that beginning stuff. But I know with John 1, in the beginning was the Word, which references Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Oh. And then He shows up. And then He shows up in a moment in time, 2,000 years ago, and He makes this statement, the time has come. We are living on the other side of Jesus Christ's first coming. But there's more to the story, Right? And as we unpack that story, we'll be able to understand our story more. The kingdom of God, let me give just a simple definition here. We can unpack in some weeks ahead. But the kingdom refers to the realm of God's rule and reign by Jesus Christ. The epic story you're part of, the larger story, is the kingdom of God. And it's his rule and reign. His rule and reign is here now. It's in this very room. If you open up your heart to let him reign in your life, then the kingdom of God has come near you. Well, what about the world? I, I see a lot of wars and torments and backbiting and, you know, politics is just getting yucky these days. People stabbing one another with words and I'm like, yeah, that's not the kingdom of God, is it? No. One of these days, God will make all things right, though, and he will come with an eternal kingdom, a physical kingdom. And his return, but the kingdom of God foremostly refers to the reign and the rule of God. It's a realm. And that realm can exist wherever his reign is. Uh, the gospel is the good news, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. And the gospel isn't just, hey, you need, to, uh, you need to know what Jesus did on the cross. He died for your sins. He rose from the grave. And, uh, you, and you can know Jesus if you repent of your sins and accept him into your life. And that, that's good. You got your fire insurance. You're good to go. Now you can get off and go live your little story like you want to. A lot of times we've just made the gospel a real condensed thing. And that's not the best because it's much grander than that. And we can unpack some of that. Uh, the community, God's people, P 
people choosing to live underneath God's reign, Christ's reign, is the community, the community of the king. I like how Titus 1.11 sort of sums up these things, and, and we'll just skim this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people of his very own eager to do what is good. Now look at this. The first part is referencing the present age in which we live. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. What does that mean? It's referring to the coming of Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, taking our sins upon himself, being raised from the dead, and then offering us the forgiveness of our sins, offering us an entrance into his eternal realm if we will but choose to let his reign happen in our life. But only if we choose to let his reign happen in our life. He's not going to coerce you. And so there's a choice there. But the grace of God has appeared to all people. And this story about the work of Jesus is the story that we articulate from one generation to the next. And because of that grace, because of the work of Jesus, it teaches us to to say no to these two big things, ungodliness and worldly passions. You see around, it's like, oh, yuck, that's just not good. And I don't have any power. I keep falling into these same stupid, silly sins. And and my little story, I keep writing. I keep messing it up, screwing it up. And, And Paul's saying here, You can say no to ungodliness and worldly passions because of the reign, the present reign of Christ, His grace coming into your life. And you can live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Self-controlled, your own personal life. Upright, just lives around others. And then godly lives, your relationship with God. But this first part represents the present age is then complemented in Titus by a second part, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, there's an age to come. New heaven and new earth, Christ's return, that can all be unpacked to understand the bigger epic story, the larger story, the kingdom of God. There's a ground level realm that you and I live in in this present age, but there's also a cosmic level realm of the kingdom of God to understand really what's he doing. And sometimes we need to get our heads out of our myopic small lives and really study even and contemplate all that God's doing. He's given you a mind as a human being to contemplate bigger things. It teaches us to say no to those things. We wait for the blessed hope. He gave himself to redeem us. Because he wants a people that are his very own. What's God doing in the kingdom picture? He's creating a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, you're scattered, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are these things. And chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, special possession, it it sort of boggles the mind to try to get around the comprehension of that, the eternal things. 
But you are this if you are a follower of Jesus and submitting to his reign so that you may declare his praises, be a people of his eager to do what is good. The kingdom, the gospel, and the community of the king. This was to be a series. What's next? Got the building. Let's get in small groups. Let's love on one another. But friends, I felt it's too small to capture our heart unless we understand the larger story that's going on. The reason that you're engaged with other people, the reason that you love other people, the reason that you sacrifice your time and your gifts for other people, and it's not just in a church, whether in a children's ministry, a student ministry, but it's your neighbors, it's the single mom that doesn't have anybody to support her, it's the widow that's in a nursing home. It may be the enemy of the company. God has called you to engage with people. And he's called you to do it as a people of God where you pull yourself away, not to cluster yourself from the world, but you become a missional community whereby you are a community of the king and you're imparting the kingdom of God, his rule and his reign through acts of kindness, through words of the gospel, whatever it may be. You are a part of something bigger and you're not called to do it alone. When Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is near, what did he start doing right after that? He started picking and choosing people. He got a group of people around him. Why? Because he knew that we needed to do life together. There's different gifts and passions that are involved in each of our lives. And Jesus wants us to be on mission for him. But we can only be on mission for him if we are in relationship with one another. Have you been burned even by church folks? I'm sure that happens. It's happened to me. We have to lay down the arms. We have to work with reconciliation, interface, whatever it may be. But we cannot do this kingdom thing by ourselves. We're called to do it as the community of the king. Might it do you good this morning to know the larger story you have been born into? I wonder what kind of tell we've fallen into. I want your wonder to move to knowing. And knowing, not a mere knowing of the mind, but a knowing of the heart, an experiential knowledge. I'm sometimes asked by people, I've been in ministry 35, I don't know, maybe it's probably going on 40 years now. Carrie, how do you keep doing it? It's because I'm connected to the larger story. Because left unto itself, being a pastor with challenges and responsibilities and schedules, nothing. But there's a calling in my heart, and for me it's a vocational calling. But you have the equal calling if you're a Christ follower today, in whatever vocation you are, to live out the kingdom of God as the community of the king, to be able to bring his kingdom at hand in all sectors of life. But you cannot do that until the kingdom of God has come within you. And this is why Jesus himself spoke to a religious staff person named Nicodemus. A Pharisee who who asked him about the eternal things. And Jesus said, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And so he unpacks this thing of, you're just an outsider. You can't even understand the, the epic story is going. You've got to be born again. 
And so he explains about being born again, being born of water and being born of the Spirit. And you're born of the kingdom of God if you let the kingdomly reign of Jesus Christ come in your life. And my question to you this morning is, have you done that? Have you allowed the kingdom of God, the kingdom reign to come within? Because when it comes in, it illuminates your life. Oh, this isn't about religion. This is about being a part of relationship with the king and the community of the king and being on an incredible adventure. This posting was on Facebook this last week. Some of you know this couple. This is Chris and Crystal Abner. They were baptized three years ago this week, and they posted it. They posted it as a a, a spirit of celebration. They've since moved to Oklahoma. Crystal says this, Today, three years ago, Chris and I were saved. We fully accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We are now fully alive in Christ and trying to live the kingdom life daily. Best choice we have made for our family. Our kids love Jesus with all their hearts. We also three years ago left California, transplanted to Oklahoma. It has been a wonderful move for our family. Although I miss some of our people from Cali, we are thriving and growing as a family in our place. And then she quotes this at the bottom. Jesus said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Friends, I want you to know that this gentleman right here, Chris, he was a Marine. He almost died uh, in Iraq because of hitting a, a mine. He was the toughest guy I've ever had in a rooted group. Some of you were in that rooted group. Why are you here and rooted? Because my wife made me. But then he said, you know, I struggle with PTSD from war. And the only people I've known who have ever gotten over it had religion in their life. Chris asked some tough questions. And Crystal cared enough to drag him along. And through those 10 weeks of rooted, their lives were transformed. And we baptized them at the end. So when I stand up and I say, hey, get in a rooted group, get in, get in a life group. It's not about plugging holes and filling up numbers or closing the back door of a church so people stay. It's about transformation, transformation of people's lives. You have to be born again. He's now a police officer in his local town from where he came. And you see his kids thriving. They lost a daughter at the age of five to an illness. Some really hard stuff in their story but they've allowed their story to be connected to the larger story. And so I finish with this verse that's familiar to us. John 3.16, he spoke it to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Thanks for your time today as we unpacked this. If you've not been born into the kingdom of God, you can have that opportunity today. Friends, this morning we had the opportunity for us to have a prayer area that's set over here. The prayer area sign's not up high enough yet. But there would be people that would be willing to pray with you. Maybe there's something else in your story that's challenging and you'd like someone to pray with you. 
members of our prayer ministry team would be over there if you want to just make your way and your friends will wait, kids. Settle some things if God's moved on your heart today. We're going to close back with that bluegrass number that y'all enjoyed. And one of the reasons is because I want to live on uh, leave on an up note. But leaving on the up note doesn't keep me from challenging you to be a part of the kingdom of God and challenging you to commit yourself to the community of the king and be in a rooted group, be in a life group. We're doing life together for the glory of the larger story. Amen. Amen. Ushers come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. Jesus, we thank you this morning that we are a part of your story that you're doing through all ages. Our small story, Lord, help us to have context and understanding for those who are in need today for that story to be made well. God, I pray they would just seek you out, maybe pray with someone this morning. And Lord, across this room, if no one's had the opportunity to challenge an individual personally, for them to commit their life to Jesus, I pray they would, in their heart, repent, turn from their indifference, double-mindedness, ask you to come into their life, and from this day forward, that your reign would be supreme. In your name we pray, amen and amen. All right, Joe, Joe, Greg, kick it up.